All right, today we are going to conclude our study of the woman at the well, a faith that satisfies. You'll find this entire encounter in the fourth chapter of the book of John. And let's kind of remember where we got to. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem and after a day and a half of traveling, finds himself in the morning sun at a hot, dusty desert in the middle of Samaria. And when he arrives there, all of his traveling party goes into the city to, uh, to get things to eat for them. Jesus remains at the well alone, not by accident, but by choice, because God has made a providential meeting between Jesus and the woman at the well. I mentioned this in the last hour. No one knows the name of this woman. History doesn't tell us. Scripture hasn't recorded it. This woman, the Samaritan, is the first person to hear from Jesus' mouth his declaration of being the Messiah. What a privilege in hindsight that is. We don't know her name, but we know who she is. And even greater than that, we're going to remember what she did, not who she was prior to encountering Jesus. Jesus opened his conversation with her with a simple question, will you give me a drink? An expected question if you're sitting around a well and you've traveled a day and a half and it's hot, but that simple question opened up a whole can of worms. And in that conversation, there's discussion about uh, physics, and there's a discussion about um, culture, and it, it, there's just a whole kit and caboodle of discussion. And Jesus replied to that discussion with this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus answered, every, Jesus answered everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, there is not a person in the world, given all of the, the, the factors around this woman being at this well at this time of the day, there's not a person in the world who wouldn't say the exact same thing she said. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. You're giving, I'm sorry, you're doing what? So in a modern context, if I walked up to you and you said, hey, I'd like to give you an unlimited supply of gasoline. Everyone in this room goes, sign me up. Jesus offers something to this woman that she recognizes a physical need of in spite of the fact she hasn't quite yet recognized the spiritual need. We see this sapling of faith. This woman has faith enough to go, I'll take that water. Simple faith with a simple request. My friends, it doesn't take a mile of faith to find Jesus as our Savior. It doesn't take a mile of faith 
to keep our chin up and our feet moving when we're in the valley. It doesn't take a mile of faith to look around from the mountaintop and go, good Lord, how great is this? It just takes a little bit. The Bible says faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. And this woman has expressed this mustard seed. And I can't help but think of this passage when it talks about the, the soil of the heart. It said the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they do not have roots, there's no depth. It doesn't last long. They fall away as soon as the problems and the persecution comes. They hear the word. They receive the word. They respond to the word. But it's going to be short-lived if something more doesn't happen. That's why a person can come to a, a worship experience and they come here and they find so many things and they leave and they go, oh man, that's awesome. And by Sunday afternoon, Monday afternoon, Wednesday night, that passion, that all of that, that emotion just seems to fade away and become consumed by the worries of life. There is a shelf life on this faith. And Jesus knows it. <clears throat> he went on and <clears throat> he asked her, go get your husband and come back. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Hold on. Talk amongst yourselves. allergies the game the whole family can play he asked her to do a simple task in which she replied honestly in her mind and he replied truthfully to her and her response to him was this sir I can see you're a prophet so this random encounter at a random well with a Jewish rabbi and a Samaritan woman that in no way, shape, or form is acceptable by culture. Now she goes, this isn't some stranger waiting on a woman at a well. Thank you. Anybody know that song? Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Now she goes, I'll take that water. And you're not just a man. You must be a prophet. And by her saying that, she says this, you are the messenger of God. You are the deliverer of God's word. He has gone from here to here, and that faith continues to grow. In spite of the, difficult of the, the difficulties of the conversation, in spite of the lack of theological training, in spite of the cultural differences, in spite, in spite, in spite, that faith continues to grow. I'll take the water. Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. The faith is growing, but the shelf life is still. Jesus didn't come to solve the debates of politics, religion, uh, or culture. She wanted to go and discuss this and to go discuss this and to go to discuss that. It's an interesting thing. When I get around to holding a spiritual conversation, oh, man, everybody wants to go somewhere. My friends, Jesus didn't come to solve our political disagreements. Jesus didn't come to solve our religious arguments. Jesus came to solve the sin problem once and for all and for anyone and everyone who will receive him as Savior. Amen? He goes on. The woman said, 
I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared to him, I am he. There's no mistake in what he's claiming, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't the everybody gets a ribbon statement. This isn't all roads lead to heaven statement. This is I am he. And I will say this, Christ's answer is still the same. I am he. Now Jesus has planted the seed. Now Jesus has watered the seed. Now we have to see what happens. You remember that soil, it's shallow, it's short-lived. Now she's seen it, now she's heard it, now she's received it. Now she's beginning to review it. But what will she do with it? Let's see. John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? They knew the law of timing. There's a time to speak up and there's a time to just keep that pie hole short, shut. They knew what the timing was. I love this artist rendering. <clears throat> I've studied a little bit about art interpretation. And this painting is so beautiful. We see this woman who has come to this place. We see our Savior Jesus who had a divine appointment with her. Now, we see the, the apostles and the disciples arriving back. The mood is about to change. The room is about to change. Look at where she's looking, brothers and sisters. Look where her gaze is focused. That's the point of this painting. You say, well, Jimmy, I, what's she looking at? She's looking at the water jug. She's not looking at Jesus. She's not looking at the disciples. She's not looking back to the city. She's not looking into the sky. Her gaze is focused on that jug, and I'm going to explain to you why. Let's carry on. Then leaving her water jug, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Why? Because God is omniscient. That's the $3 word that means this. He knows everything. Who does he know everything about? Everyone. Who is everyone? Everyone say with me. Me. You and me. He knows everything. And she said, could this be the Messiah? She knows he's a prophet. Now she's debating what? He could be the Messiah. Why? Well, he told me everything I did. And two, guess what? He said he was. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Let's look at the departure from the well, shall we? The woman's departure gives us some very clear indicators. You got to read the room. You got to read the clues. Now, <clears throat> I don't play cards very often because I'm really terrible at it. And I never play cards with the shark that is Jeff Phillips. <coughs> Or anyone in that clan. Because I don't know. I, I don't know how to read the cards. Every hand I get's a mystery. I'm with these people and they're like, well, I know what I'm about to get. There it is. You're like, what? You, know. you got to know how to read the room. You got to read the context. And we so often will come to this encounter and we just blow by it. But I want us to stop and read the context clues for a minute because they're beautiful. 
Let's look at them, shall we? <clears throat> she left the water jar. Why? The purpose of her being there. This water jar is important. Without the water jar, she's not at the well. She's not coming. She came to get water. That jar is the sustainer of her, her, her physical being, of her house's well-being, of her ability to clean and to cook and to provide. That jar has a huge purpose in her life. <coughs> and it was, the filling of that jar was the reason she came to the well. <coughs> it provided for her. But it was also a persistent reminder of her condition. Every day in the noonday heat, when she clutched that jar to walk a mile and a half out to that well in the heat, she was reminded of her transgressions, of her society's opinions, and of the feelings she felt. The reason she didn't walk with the women of the city was because she didn't feel like she deserved to be there. And they didn't want her there. Every time she clutched that jar, it reminded her of where she had come from and where she was. So you see, to depart from that jar, that is significant. Number two, it was a chance to provide. In leaving the jar at the well, now Jesus and his disciples can use what she left behind to meet their physical needs. You remember the discussion? How can you give me water? You have no way to access the water. In her leaving the water in a backwards, maybe unintentional way, she was ministering to Jesus' physical needs and those of his traveling party. Wow. Unintended consequences. Number three, there was a change of provision. The physical thirst that had drawn her to the well had been forgotten as her spiritual thirst was being quenched. My friends, when Jesus starts to meet your spiritual needs, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? <clears throat> Why does she forget the jug? Because she was now transferring from the physical to the spiritual, and the spiritual will always supersede and overshadow the physical. We're going to see that more here in a moment. <coughs> We see a change in her purpose. Her purpose with the jug was to come to get water, but now in leaving the jug, her purpose was to go tell others about Jesus. When we understand the divine responsibility and privilege of telling others about Jesus, we tend to leave the things of this world behind a little easier. Fame, fortune, and everything that goes with it. Telling Jesus is the greatest thing in the world. Telling about Jesus. We, we can leave behind so many things. Why, not that they're not important. The jug didn't lose its importance. Guess what? The jug is going to be a part of her life from now on. Why? She still needs physical water. This is free. It doesn't cost you extra. But you know what? Every time she picks up that jug from now on, she's going to think of Jesus. Why? Yeah. Talk about a transformation. John uh, 31 through 33. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know not about. <clears throat> then his disciples said to each other, 
Could someone have brought him food? Modern day context. Did he door dash? <laughs> My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Hmm. Let's look at some divine dining at the well, shall we? They wanted to meet Jesus' physical needs, and that's great. Did Jesus have physical needs? Yes. He was all man. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to be thirsty. He knew what it was like to be hungry. But I'll tell you this. I would rather teach than eat. And I like eating, and it shows. I would rather teach than eat. Jesus says, I'm good. I have food that you know not of. I'm dining on the feast that is God's will and God's word and God's work. That's good right there, Jeff. That's t-shirt worthy. That's right off the cuff, baby. His response to them was a head scratcher. What? You have to remember, these are normal people who are learning on the job. Well, Jesus, what? Did that woman bring you something to eat? I mean... It's a natural question, right? I can't help to think to myself a little bit. You see, they weren't quite understanding yet because they were working on a physical plane, not yet a spiritual plane. But what I do know is this, is on a spiritual plane, if all we do is religious duty, it doesn't feed us. There's no manna from heaven there's no joy that fills your soul. There's no passion. There's no anticipation. Can I tell you this? If you get up every Sunday morning and you go, oh, it's Sunday again. I guess we have to go to church. That's a problem, Will Robinson. And I thought to myself about this a little bit. And, and I got to give you something free. <clears throat> I thought about this. Think of our military men and women. We have the greatest fighting force on the face of the planet, and they all volunteer. They come from different places for different reasons, but they all volunteer for duty. And I tell you, I respect that. If I have one regret from my younger life, I wish I'd have had the the wisdom and the courage to make that choice. Uh, but I didn't. I willfully and intentionally avoided that choice. When they volunteer, it will take them to places they may not know. It will lead them to do things they may not want to do. And the price of admission can be high. And now those who enlist, which everyone in our military services all enlist, but not everyone stays. Some will go in and they'll do a hitch and they'll get out. And that's awesome. We need that. Some will do two hitches. Some will go in. Some will stay a little while. Some will stay a little longer. But there are those, a good number, who give their entire life in service to our nation You may join the military for a lot of reasons. And you may do your duty, but duty's not enough for you to give the price that that ticket costs you long term. 
Duty will get you by, but it won't sustain you. Amen? If your marriage to your spouse is just duty, you need more than that. And so I thought to myself, self, what is it that takes these men and women who voluntarily step forward and say, here I am, send me, and all of their experiences and all the prices that they pay, whether it's seven years or 40 years, why would they do it? And this is what, it's not what stands before them that drives them on. It's the love for what stands behind them that really matters. It's a nation, one of the greatest nations in the history of our world that still gives people the greatest opportunity to have the greatest life. It's men and women, it's husbands and wives, it's boys and girls. It's the freedom to do what we want to do. That's why people like Buddy spend his entire career in the seat of that plane. <clears throat> it wasn't for what was in front of them because that changes. It's the love for what they stand in front of. And I'm so thankful for each and every one of you veterans who stood at the doorway of chaos and afforded us the life of freedom that we enjoy. And you think about that, and then if we can <clears throat> bridge over to a spiritual duty, if we find ourselves living our religion and all we're doing is punching the spiritual time clock, my friends, it's not going to be rewarding, it's not going to be effective, and it's not going to last. Duty will only carry you so far because you will get physically, physically weak, mentally weak, and spiritually weak. You will not finish the race. However, when we do what we do out of love, when we remember what Jesus has done for us. And that becomes this well inside of us. My friends, it doesn't matter where you are in your life. You won't stop serving. Countless are the times I've stood at the bedside of those that were within breaths of eternity. And they just kept ministering. My wonderful mother-in-law who went to be with Jesus far too early... As a young minister, I would go to see her. And I always left better than I went in because she kept ministering. Because it wasn't a duty, it was a love. And church, if we're going to finish the race and we're going to impact our world in this very brief moment of time that we get to be here, we must live our faith in love, not duty. John 4, 35, my food said Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's, uh, it is still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look for the f at the fields. They are ripened to harvest. There's a heavenly harvest in my mind. Jesus reminds them, listen, I have come here to do something. 
The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And in my sanctified imagination, Jesus knows there's a herd coming from the crowd. No, not a walker herd, but a herd that's about to meet Jesus. <clears throat> and he turns in my sanctified imagination and he tells his disciples, he goes, look, look. And because they do what Jesus says to do, they look and he goes, look, the fields are ripe unto harvest. Harvest time, you don't have to go to the field. Why? Because the field's coming to you. Oh, my goodness. And the reason I believe this can be historically accurate, in my humble opinion, is this. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. There's a wage earned when a lost soul is saved. Luke 15 tells us this. In the same way, I tell you, there will be joy in heaven. What? Over one. Listen, one grape does not a harvest make, but heaven rejoices over the one. And the great thing, he goes on, he says this. Thus, one sows and another one reaps. It is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of the labor. Jimmy, what does that look like? Well, in my mind, it looks like a sandwich. So yesterday at our couples conference, we brought in Jimmy's John, Jimmy's John's, as the commercial says. And let me just say, it was delicious. This sandwich right here looks perfect except for those three red anomalies on top get that out of here if I want something that tastes like dirt I'll pick it up off the floor myself true guilty you say Jimmy my goodness what are you doing here here's what I'm doing here is that delicious sandwich I may be the benefactor of it, but there were a lot of people that did a lot of work to make that sandwich possible. I'm just the one that gets to eat it. Brothers and sisters, as we live our lives of faith, we benefit from the labors and the loves of others just as they can benefit from us. Some of us are planting the seeds of faith. Some of us are watering the seeds of faith. And every now and then we get to see a harvest of that faith. And that's awesome. And you say, which one's more valuable? We're all valuable. We're all on the same team. We've all been given the same charge. We all receive the same wage. What? Joy. When you see a soul redeemed, joy. When you see a heart encouraged, joy. When you see God do God things, joy. And we all get it. I get joy out of what God's doing in you and through you. And I hope that you get joy out of what God's doing in me and through me too. You see, this is a win-win relationship. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of whom? The woman. Wait a minute. That, what? Because of her testimony. Who's an expert on her testimony? She is. If anyone tries to bait your testimony, you say, you shut up, you don't know nothing. Or if you want to be kinder, you just say this, you shut your pretty mouth. <laughs> Why does she have a testimony? He told me everything I had done. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. The Jew and his party, stay with us. Let's look at the heavenly heart. The fledgling faith of the community caused them what? To believe the woman's testimony. Guess what? She went from an outcaster, an outcast to an influencer. Boom! She blew up. She's getting sponsored ads in her social media. This woman who went to the well, why? Because no one wanted to be with her. Now, everybody wants to go where she's going. My friends, with Jesus in your life, don't you dare believe that you can never be an influence in our world. Don't you dare believe it. Because this woman, which no one wanted to listen to, which no one wanted to be with, which no one wanted to follow, guess what? When she starts meeting Jesus and she starts talking about Jesus, people start listening. And there was something so compelling about what they were hearing and seeing, they followed her to the well. In the heat of the day. Hey, listen, I don't know what's going on with this gal, but I'm going to take that mile and a half trek in the heat of the day. I've got to see what's going on. Maybe they were suffering from a little bit of FOMO. I don't know. Ron, if you don't know what that is, you can Google it. Her testimony encouraged them to come see for themselves. And when they came, guess what? Hey, Jesus, can you guys hang around a little while? Man, we are really digging what's going on here, and we want more. You know, when you get a really good meal, you always want a little bit more. Huh? Isn't that true? If you've ever gone to a Columbia, uh, a Brazilian steakhouse, and they walk up and they offer you a salad bar, you say to them, you shut your pretty mouth. <laughs> I've done that. Here's what I know. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We believed in what you said enough to come see for ourselves. Amen? Now we have heard for ourselves. We know the Savior. I'm just trying to earn an audience, ladies and gentlemen. Salvation is of the Lord. Because of your testimony, this nameless woman, this outcast Samaritan, this woman who, who walked to the well that day thinking, well, this is just another miserable day. Ha, ha, ha. Because we heard what you said, we came to see for ourselves, and now what? We know the Messiah. You don't know your well. And you don't know your when, but my friends, with Jesus, you always have something to say. This is one of the most beautiful pictures. I've talked to you before about our time in Oregon. This is the Columbia River Gorge. In my humble opinion, one of the most beautiful places on earth. I've had the privilege of standing on that very preface, uh, precipice. There we go. It's a beautiful river. John 7 says this, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Anyone and everyone can come and drink. And when they do, that relationship 
will flow inside of them. Now, here's the beautiful thing, and here's the point of the points. That river is a beautiful thing, but it's a flowing, moving body of water. When Jesus is flowing inside of us, it has an intention, what? To fill our cup. Fill it up. But it's not just for us. It's to flow through us to others. How can our world be a better world? Well, if Jesus would just flow through us, it's got a fighting chance. How can your workplace be a better workplace? Just let that water flow through you. How can your marriage be a better marriage? Just let that water flow through you. How can you be a better parent? Well, you're starting to get it. Students, how can you be a better child? How can you love your parents and your grandparents and those in authority? Let that water flow through you. How can Greenville be better? ALF, we just let that water flow through us. The question is, have we been to the water? A lot of people claim a lot of things, but you know what? And the evidence is in the water. Have you ever met Jesus on his terms? Oh, you may go to the well, and you may want the water, but the question before you is this, have you ever received it? A lot of people know about Jesus. A lot of people claim to know him. But Jesus says, only those who have come to me in spirit and in truth, only those who have come to me by faith through grace, only those who have received me possess the water. Do you possess the water today? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes just a moment. I know we've gone long today, but I would be absolutely liable if I didn't invite you to the well. Acts chapter 3 says this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come, where? From the Lord. Have you turned to the Lord? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? If not, my friends, today is that day. Today today is that day. This is that place. This is the well, brothers and sisters. This is the well, my friend. Jesus has made an appointment with you, and he is here. And his word is here, and his promise is here, and his hands are outstretched to you. What will you do with it? You, just like that woman so many years ago, has the same two options. You can hear it, you can consider it, and you can walk off from it. You could do that. Or you can hear it, you can consider it, and you can receive it and be changed forever. You can do that. The choice is up to you. What will you do with it? If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your personal Savior, I want to humbly invite you to do that. And you say, well, Jimmy, I don't even know what that means. What is, I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not asking you for a dollar of your money. I'm not asking you for anything other than this. Would you put your faith in Jesus today? You say, Jimmy, I, I'm not sure how to do that. The Bible says, for by grace through faith are you saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Faith is this, simply believing what Jesus says. And I've told you today, enough. Jesus says, I am he. He is the Messiah of the world. He is the Savior of the sinners. He is the 
Lord of the saints. He is the greatest gift ever offered to you. Now the question on the table, my friend, is this. Will you receive it? For by grace through faith are you saved. I'm going to invite you, if that's your desire, to offer up your faith today in a simple prayer. Understand, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's a faith in who Jesus is and what he says he is and your need of him and your acceptance of him as best you know how. You're not a 35-year theologian studier. I understand that. You may be a 60-minute in-church person. That's okay. You act on what you know. And my friends, if you're honest, you know that the well that you've been going to doesn't satisfy. How do I know? Oh, I went to that well time and time again until one morning, just like this morning, I went to that well and Jesus was there. And he made to me the same offer that I make to you. And by his glorious grace, I received him. And my friends, everything that I have said to you is true because God never lies and because I am a personal benefactor. 36 years I've walked with the Lord and I am satisfied and it is my greatest privilege to offer to you today that living water and if that's you I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I want you to whisper with every ounce of faith that you have from your heart to the heart of God these words dear God I know that I am a sinner and there is nothing I can do to save myself. I confess, I agree with you that I am completely helpless to forgive my own sin or to work my way to heaven. At this moment, right here, right now, with all that I have, I trust you. I trust you, Christ, and Christ alone that you bore my sins when you died on the cross. I ask for the forgiveness only you can offer. And God, I ask your son, Christ Jesus, to be my savior. Help me to know and to love him more day by day. Give me a home in heaven when my life on earth is through. My friend, if that has been whispered by faith from your heart to his heart, my friend, by grace, you have been saved. You will walk out of here a different person than you walked in, and it will be my privilege to get you started on this journey. It would be our privilege to walk alongside of you in this new life. Listen, it's not easy, but it's worth it. It doesn't mean there won't be valleys of sorrow, but God will be with you there. 
It doesn't mean every day is a mountaintop, but God will be with you there. It doesn't mean that every rose won't have its own thorn, but God will be with you there. No matter where you go, no matter what you go through, it's always better with Jesus. Is there someone here today that would say, Jimmy, that's me. By faith, this morning, at this well, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. Would you just lift your hand wherever you are in the room? Just, you'd tell me, Jimmy, today, that's me. Anybody? For those of you that are with me through the digital church, if that's you, would you please connect to me and share with me? Let me rejoice with you. You know how to find me. Let me rejoice with you. Father, we give you thanks today for your grace and your mercy. Father, we thank you, Lord, that (laughs) one day at our well, Jesus passed by. And God, we thank you that we've never been the same. Father, remind us day by day that we're better than knowing, but we're called to be different because Jesus Father, help us to carry this living water, Lord, to a world that is dying of thirst. Father, we love you. And we thank you for the privilege of being called your children. We thank you for the privilege of prayer. We thank you for the privilege of being partners in the proclamation of your promises. And Father, we thank you for one day heaven. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And the saints of God all would say amen and amen.